Hey, BGG fam, it's Ashanti. We love our BGG community and are eager to get to know you better. That's why we created a short listener survey to learn more about you. Surveys like these are indescribably helpful to the show. They help us secure awesome sponsors like Fair Fight and AppBlue, tailor our content to what you want to hear, and ensure the future success of the show. It would mean the world to me if you could take a few seconds to fill out the survey. Head over to wondermianetwork.com slash bggsurvey to share your thoughts and to be entered to win some awesome Wonder Media Network swag. That's wondermedianetwork.com slash bggsurvey. I promise it's super quick. You can also find the link in the episode notes. Thanks so much, fam. Welcome back, Brown Girls. It's Ashanti, the host of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. Today, we're talking about how starting off small can lead to big victories. Our guest today, Sandra Washington, ran a progressive campaign in a red state and won to become the first Black lesbian on Lincoln, Nebraska's city council. But Sandra isn't an overnight sensation. She worked her way up from being on Parks and Rec boards to being appointed to the Planning Commission. Sandra tells us about her environmental background, her campaign for Lincoln City Council, and shares her advice on how to get involved in government. I hope you enjoy this episode. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I am doing well today. How are you? Very good. So right before this conversation, I was in a meeting and someone's like, are you done for the day? And I'm like, no, I'm actually talking to like Sandra Washington from Nebraska. And I told them all about you. And they're like, wow. And they're like, we need to hear more of that, especially Black people being in the Midwest, because there's still very much this notion that Black people don't live really in the Midwest. When you hear just especially in the political discourse about who is Midwestern and what is Midwestern, what has your life been like out in Nebraska? Well, my life in Nebraska is good. I've been in Lincoln, Nebraska for 31 years. I'm originally from the other end of the Midwest. I'm from Ohio. And so I grew up thinking that I lived in the Midwest in Ohio. And when I moved to Nebraska, everyone told me that I was from back east, that I in (laughs) no way was Midwestern, no matter what I thought growing up. So that was quite an eye-opening experience to hear that Ohio was considered sophisticated back east or something like that. People have their ideas about what Nebraska is and who lives in Nebraska. And when I moved to Nebraska, the Black population in Lincoln was just about 2.2%. It was really low. And I remember thinking, well, okay, this is where I live. (laughs) And, but I'd also, my life before politics, but I studied natural resources and environmental sciences, and I worked in the out of doors. And so I have lived in Wyoming, and the Black population in that county was one. <laughs> so I, I certainly have been in places where I was in the real minority. 
And so Lincoln, though, it was not as diverse as it is today. And today, the diversity in Lincoln has really grown a lot. African-American population here is probably around 5%. And overall, we have about 14% minorities, people of color. And it is so much more diverse than it used to be. And we're moving to greater diversity. And Lincoln is the progressive blue spot in the state. And I couldn't be any more thankful. I love it. And I do want to hone in on you having an environmental background too, because I think that's so important. There's Black people in environmental fields. There's Black women in environmental fields and they run for office and win. And it's such a expertise that we need right now, especially as we're dealing with the climate crisis and just environmental factors that impact Black communities. And I have like so many more questions for you, but there's also that level of activism that you had with your environmental background. How did that lead you to where you are today? I have always been really connected to the out of doors and I feel very comfortable there. It's a safe place. It's a healing place for me. And I guess I didn't think I was being an activist in conservation, even though I was working in that field. It felt like, well, everybody I went to school with and everybody I work with does the same thing. And so this is a normal place. But my activism has always been around people of color and justice and dealing with racism and sexism. And that's really been where I put my focus when I think about my activism. But where they intersect with each other really came down to starting work with the National Park Service. So I had a career with the National Park Service for 25 years, and they asked me to go in and do community planning work, conservation work in different communities around the Midwest. And oftentimes I would walk in and they would be looking for the conservation specialist who was going to help them with a river cleanup or a trails plan. And I'd be like, well, I'm the person. Let me, hi. (laughs) I'm the person. (laughs) I know my stuff here and we can sit down and we can do some urban planning and we can do some environmental work here and I can help you with your neighborhood. And that just showing up was activism. I didn't try to be an activist at that point, but my showing up and being the person with the skill set they needed was activism because their eyes opened up and they were like, wow. And I would be in small communities in Iowa, Nebraska, or Kansas, Indiana. I mean, I worked in the Midwest. I had 13 states in the Midwest region. And so they oftentimes were like, okay, this is the first Black person who's come in to talk to us about recreation or trails or clean water. And I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I, I know so many of us have those stories when you come in and they don't think it's you or they think it's someone else on the team who's going to be leading. The number of women where people have actually greeted their assistant thinking that they were the one in charge. It's sad. There's still that notion, not only of what a leader is, but also a leader in in the environmental field, in the conservation field. It's shocking to hear, but also not surprising to hear because we all have to kind of deal with that stuff. Yeah, we do. And of course, it makes the job a little bit more challenging, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's sort of like, okay, there's this first big step I've got to take in order for folks to recognize me as reliable or responsible or reputable or prepared. 
I step over that. And then they go, all right, so now you're here to help us or you're here to like spread bad federal news. You can imagine it's a land management agency. Sometimes I would be the person who came in to talk about acquisition in real estate and they would be like, right. oh, so you're going to condemn us. And I, no, I am not going to condemn the property. We are not going to take it. We're going to have a negotiation about value and, you know, we're going to come to some agreement. And they would be just like, hmm, so you're the big bad fed. Well, okay, <laughs> let's start with that reputation. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I worked at the Department of Labor, so I'm totally <laughs> relating and agreeing. You know, luckily though, I was in community engagement, so I got to go do the great things with the secretary. I, I wasn't delivering the bad news. <laughs> Hi, I'm with the federal government. I'm here to help you. Right. <laughs> And I had an opportunity to lead and open up new national park units, um, and some of them really focused in on civil rights. And I think having that experience of coming into a community to not be the expert, not to be the expert in civil rights and the subject, but be the expert in park management and standing up new national parks and having a chance to meet some people who are icons of civil rights history and to have conversations with them. And to really learn from their experiences has changed my life, absolutely changed my life. And I think it's one of the reasons that I felt really compelled when I took early retirement to find another place for my voice and to move into public service in a different way. Because I would talk to people and say, you did so much by showing up, speaking out, being yourself and Basically, history books put your name and your picture in the book, and we all know who you are. How can I do anything but try my best to be a voice and to stand up? And I had good working relationships with a lot of folks in Lincoln. And about six months before I knew I was going to make an exit, I turned to the mayor of Lincoln at the time and said, you've often asked me when I have time to serve Lincoln. I'm going to leave the agency. And so give me three months and I'll be ready to do something. And he gave me an opportunity by appointing me to the Lincoln and Lancaster Planning Commission, where I served for three years as a planning commissioner. And it was a wonderful job. Loved the opportunity to get lost in a new neighborhood in Lincoln every week. The agenda came out and I'd say, I don't even know where that is. And I drive over to that part of Lincoln and I go, Okay, never been here before. This is fascinating. So, you know, and I'm looking at zoning and development and plats and things like that. But I loved doing that. And when there was a vacancy on council, and I remember thinking, huh, isn't that interesting? There's a vacant seat. I wonder what the process is. And a few days later, I got approached by a couple of council members who are sitting on council. And they said, let me tell you about the process for appointing someone to fill that vacancy. And we'd like to know if you're interested. Mm. And I, I applied and there was a huge field. 24 people applied for the vacancy and I was selected, you know, and so I learned what it was like to be on council. And so I had a two year running start before my election. And then you campaign during a pandemic, which means you're creative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't knock on doors. You do not knock on doors. You do not have your in-person phone bank. You're not hosting the large fundraisers in person. It goes virtual. Yeah, you have to figure it all out. 
you know, and I thought, I'm going to miss the opportunity of buying pizza for a whole group of people on the phone bank. And I just thought, wow, there's not that kind of camaraderie that we're building. Not in the same way, but we were very successful. I won last May and that felt great. It was a huge relief to like be done with campaigning because I was really glad to put my phone down and go, I'm not going to spend two or three hours tonight making phone calls. I'm going to take a break and I'm also going to pull out my priority list and get going. Now for a quick word from our sponsors. Democracy can be messy and change can take time. Over the last year, we know it's been easy to get frustrated, but the only way we can make progress on everything from access to healthcare, reproductive justice, protecting our planet, and preserving our freedom to just be ourselves is by electing leaders who share our values and our goals. There are some critical elections coming up in 2022, and while voting won't solve every problem, change won't be possible unless we head to the ballot box. We saw the electoral power Black and Brown voters had in 2020, and it's time for us to make our voices heard again this year. Join me by visiting fairfight.com today to learn more about the important elections at stake in 2022 and how you can be a part of the movement to ensure all of our voices are heard. The attack on our election systems in 2020 has highlighted the importance of every election and elected official in our democracy. Our sponsor, ActBlue, works to make sure Democratic candidates have access to resources to fight off these attacks. ActBlue is a nonprofit that builds tech and infrastructure for Democratic campaigns and progressive-aligned causes. Their tools help break down barriers to entry making it easier for grassroots donors to chip in to the causes and candidates they care about and truly embody creating change in our communities. With the midterms coming up, now is a great time to learn about local elections and identify places you can contribute. Go to actblue.com backslash directory to find candidates and causes to give to that will help you maximize your impact. And remember to follow ActBlue on Instagram at ActBlueOrg and on Twitter and Facebook at ActBlue to keep up with the latest in grassroots fundraising. And we're back. Here's more of my conversation with Sandra Washington. I want to dive in on this appointment piece because I feel this is so important, but also a missed opportunity for a lot of women of color, when they're looking at ways to get politically engaged, getting an appointment to a board and commission, you're a big deal. You have a relationship with the mayor, but there's just so many everyday people who are serving their community that should think about these appointments either locally or statewide. So just tell us a little bit more from your perspective and give a little bit of advice to the BGG community about why they should think about these boards and commissions. And, you know, we heard from you how it is a great stepping stone to running for an elected position because it lets you know the community more, the areas more, the players more, the issues more. It's really very insightful. 
Well, I will. And thank you for asking the question, because I think that appointments to boards, commissions, panels, it's a ripe opportunity for folks to learn more about the community, for people to get to know who they are, and to help maybe move you to the next step if you're interested in doing that. So every community has dozens of these boards and commissions. I would advise women to really look at the ones that aren't popular. Like if I were to look at all of the boards and commissions that the city of Lincoln has, and I were looking for some place to get my feet wet, first, I'm going to look at those boards and commissions that really speak to my own values. And there's all kinds of boards. Every utility has a board. Watershed has a board. Wastewater. I mean, every function of local government has a board or a commission, a review panel or something. And so I would suggest folks get involved in that or uh, school board, just anything to get your name out there. And I, of course, start where you've got some interest, some skill, and then look for the really odd ones that they have vacancies because nobody knows they exist. Yeah. I mean, some of these seats can go vacant for years because nobody knows and your community needs you. They need the help. Like the seats are there for a reason. They are. And then always call. Follow it up with a phone call. Once you've got your application and followed up with either the chair of the committee or the mayor's assistant or whoever you have to go to to make sure that they understand that you put in a sincere request to be involved. I'm really glad that I'm a volunteer by nature and that I started volunteering for things. People would know who I am. And then say, oh, yeah, maybe she would be interested in this commission or that post. And I'll tell you, my relationship with the mayor was because we're both parks people. And I met him when I served on the park advisory board like a bazillion years ago. And he remembered me. And and he wasn't the mayor at the time. I mean, that was the he was not the mayor at the time. He just became the mayor. Right. And it's it's those connections. You never know who you're going to be connecting with, networking with and This is why I love your story. And you're just like, oh, back then we were just serving together. We were pals and he became the mayor. Now I'm on the city council. Yeah, of course. I I didn't call him by his first name at that point. His (laughs) his name became mayor because (laughs) that's what you do. But we all have networks that are immense. Just have to like be willing to open up your networks and let people know what you're interested in. Talk to people, tell people you're interested in serving, you're interested in volunteering for this or this. And eventually their heads are going to go, oh, I heard that she was interested in that. Oh, I'm going to give her a call. I'm going to put her name forward. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Because I'm just very passionate about boards and commissions. We need more women on them, especially women of color. You're elected to the city council. You mentioned that you get to work on your issues. You had mentioned, you know, oh, I'm wondering how, you know, the appointment works. Was there any particular issue that drove you? I mean, we know you're passionate about the environment, but was there just something else happening in Lincoln where you said, okay, my voice has to be on the city council to help drive some of this change? Well, when I came to city council, it was three years ago. So the world hadn't fallen apart yet. And as a planner and a conservationist, I'm really glad I was on the planning commission. And what I saw happening while I was on the planning commission is that Lincoln is in a growth phase. And it's a growth phase that's lasted 15 years, 20 years, and it's going to go on. 
we have super low unemployment in Lincoln. And in comparison to other places in the country, we have relatively low cost of living. And so I see Lincoln growing. I could tell by all the building permits that came in that Lincoln was growing. And I thought, we have to have someone on city council who really understands the planning process and how we manage growth and how we can grow Lincoln, still making space for conservation so that someone is sitting on the dais who is aware of how all of these pieces fit together and we can still hold on to those physical things in our community that really make us special. Maybe not super special where we're the front page of the New York Times, but special for our community. And hold on to the values that we have around clean water and open space and public spaces. That's just so important in Lincoln. And I thought, I'm a planner. I'm a conservationist. I can understand growth, development, and protecting the environment all in the same place. And I can also understand that Lincoln is growing and changing in the population and that having more and more census tracts that come in as poverty and extreme poverty. When I moved here, there were no census tracts in extreme poverty. It's been 30 years, but in the last 15 years, dozen years maybe, we have gone from six census tracts in extreme poverty to over a dozen census tracts in extreme poverty. And something is happening socially, demographically, that's spreading the gap between who lives in Lincoln, people who don't have enough to get by, and people who have plenty. And I thought someone has to be paying attention to this. Someone needs to be speaking up. I am fortunate that I am not a lone voice. We have a city council of seven. And on that city council, there are two African-Americans, a Black man and myself. There are three women. Yay. We even have a, <laughs> we even have a couple of people like at 40 and under. And we have gay. We have two white gay guys and myself, a black lesbian on council. And so we have a pretty diverse city council. Yeah. You know, I am not the sole voice on multiple issues. Oh, that just makes me smile knowing how diverse the city council is. But y'all know I'm biased too. If it was all women, it would be wonderful as well. But that's a really, really great makeup that you got. If women ruled the world. Oh. You know, but we all know Ashanti has her bias. She has her bias. What would you say to the members of the BGG community who are listening and they're like, wow, Sandra did it in Lincoln, Nebraska, but they may just still be a little hesitant about running for office. What advice would you give them? Well, first, believe in yourself. You have a voice that should be heard. You have something to say. You represent more than just yourself. You have the ability to represent many, many people. So don't let that hold you back. I know oftentimes women, Black women, have this feeling that we're not enough, that we don't know enough. We don't have everything we're supposed to have in order to do something. And we do. We have everything. And it doesn't matter if you have one degree, two degrees, no degrees. We have experience. We have a degree in life. Um, that gives us plenty of skills to know how to cut through the BS and to cut through the smoke and the haze and to see things as they are. Mm -hmm. And frankly, our ability to code switch and to recognize all the different ways people are talking and communicating with us makes us translators. Yes, it does. <laughs> we are the linchpin that can help people understand each other. 
I mean, I don't want to make us out to be superheroes, though I think we are super goddesses. But honestly, we have the ability to bring disparate groups together for understanding. I can't tell you how skilled I am because I am a threefer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people were like, oh, well, you got the job because you're a twofer. It's like, well, actually, that's because you're not paying attention. I'm a threefer. <laughs> but it's, it's being a queer Black woman that makes me resilient and makes it possible for me to move in multiple spaces, knowing that I have got plenty of sisters and allies around me to do this job. Yes, that part about being able to move in different spaces, it's, it's so true. And, you know, I lead a national women's organization, but I'm very honest with you. I was like, I did not grow up like this at all, like in these rooms, at these tables, all of these spaces. It's something you learn. It's something that you develop. And I do think our experiences as Black women make us good at how to adjust. I agree completely. <laughs> exactly. Snap, snap. But it's, it's yeah. so important to be confident in what you know. It, it is not necessary to know everything. It is yeah. only necessary to know what you know and to be confident in what you know. And in your own experience, don't let it hold you back. And you know what? We're not here to take the safe way. We're here to lean into what's uncomfortable and to know that we can get past that. It won't be uncomfortable every day. It'll only be uncomfortable for a little while. I have a dear old friend who always told me, look, you can walk into a room and people might be shocked the first time, but honestly, shock only happens like twice. They have to get over themselves. They're not going to be shocked by you the third time you walk in the room and you're not going to be overcome the third time you walk in the room. The third time you walk in the room, you'll be able to walk in with true confidence. So don't even worry about it. I love what you said about the uncomfortable moments, because I feel, at least for me, those are the most powerful moments for growth, because there's just so many people who are just like, no, beaming, I got to do all these things and adjust and learn. And for me, I'm so thankful for those moments and that I didn't shy away and I didn't say this is too hard. It's helped make me the person that I am. And I still have uncomfortable moments and I'm just like, damn, but all right, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's being uh, uncomfortable is okay, And and, you know, you can always recognize that almost everybody is uncomfortable at some time. At some point, even the people in the room who you think have got it all together, they've got their moments yeah. where they're uncomfortable too. Yeah, I say you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Sandra, it has been amazing to chat with you. One more question. What is one of your key lessons learned that you would love to share with the BGG community? You can make a mistake and recover. And that acknowledging that you've made a mistake is actually a strength. Yes, yes. This came up in another interview. And I love that you're saying it again, because it's so important, but also important for us as Black women and women of color to say those things 
out loud that the mistakes are okay if you're acknowledging them and you're learning from them. Because again, that's part of the uncomfortableness. That's part of the growth. Right. You know, there's that that need to be so strong. And I think that Black women have had that. We are strong and you sort of steal yourself up and then you don't allow yourself to make a mistake or you have shame over the mistake. And it's like, nope, everybody makes mistakes. We make mistakes. It's all right. Acknowledge it and move on. And it's all right to say, I've changed my mind. Or, you know, mm. I thought that way. I, those are the things I was thinking about. And I took an opportunity to listen hard and I changed my mind. And it's not waffling. It's changing your mind based on more information. Yes. Oh, powerful. Sandra, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything that you do. And I can't wait to see all the amazing things that you're going to continue to do in Nebraska. Well, thank you very much, Ashanti. It's been lovely talking to you. And I'm so glad to connect with the BGG Network. With each mistake we make, there's a lesson to be learned. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Actually, that was the wrong choice. These are things that are very hard for some people to say because it's hard to acknowledge that we just plain messed up. And for women of color, it's also hard to say because we know that every mistake, misstep, wrong decision can be used against us to say we're not qualified, incompetent, or just the wrong person for the job. This leads us to want to do everything perfectly, which then leads us to be stressed out, burnt out, and just plain miserable. One of the things I've realized over the past few years is that I'm always giving other people grace, but I don't give it to myself as much as I should. I admit that I am not perfect. I make mistakes and apologize and do better. But with that, there was still the piece of truly not giving myself grace. And that was due to deep down always wondering how making any mistake could be used against me. But no more. So in conclusion, as we continue to live our lives during a pandemic, working from home, dealing with school closures, and this overall crazy thing called life, let's give ourselves some grace and some thanks for everything that we do, even if we don't do it perfectly. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. Please take the time to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. For more information on the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, check us out at www.thebgguide.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The BG Guide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network, and you can find them at wondermedianetwork.com. Check out our next episode, where we'll be talking to Assemblymember Mia Bonta, the first Afro-Latina to serve in the California legislature. Until next time, Brown Girls. 
We are back with season two of Say Their Name. And new this season, we dive deeper, sharing those stories of women who have also lost their lives at the hands of police violence. You're talking about a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a mother, not just as a headline. Tune in as we hear from families who have been impacted by the assault and killing of Black people by police and in stand-your-ground states. Until truth and justice is obtained, we will always say their name.